right. So let's talk about the doing habits of a leader. We're going to start off with the memory verse that we always start off with, and that's found. If you want, you can turn to it. Uh, Romans chapter 12, uh, verse 9 to 13. Romans chapter 12, verse 9 to 13. And it says this. Let love be genuine. Because here's the reality. I'm going to stop right there. Sometimes we give people artificial love. We don't give them the true sense and the authenticity of our love. And Paul has to remind the Christians here that you have to let love be genuine because love can be fabricated. Let love be genuine. Adore what... Adore what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Verse 10, love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. How many know that's hard to do? But it says to be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Verse 13, contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. So as leaders, we will not be effective in how we lead until we actually become different people. And how we become different people is through the transformation that has to happen in our relationship with Christ. And if I've taught you anything in, in the matter of these uh, nine to 10 weeks is that you cannot do this leadership on your own. You cannot fabricate it. It has to come only through a relationship with Christ. And here's the thing, we can't lead like Jesus without following Jesus. It's not possible to lead without Jesus and because of this relationship, right? That we have this intimacy that we have with the father, right? We have these habits that we've we've been talking about, right? The habits, the heart, the mind, the behaviors and the experience, all that has to change because of our relationship with Christ. And we've been talking about that. We've discussed the being habits, uh, that are the, the practices which actually reinforce the central habit. Remember we talked about the central habit of God's love, right? That was in the center, uh, God's love, and then abiding in it, right? But now we're going to go on to the doing. James chapter 1, verse 22. Uh, you probably all know this scripture, but it says, But be doers of the word, and not hearers only deceiving yourself so we must move now from being to doing you have to move from being to doing a lot of us we're stuck in the phase of being we're stuck there because of remember we talked about fear of pride fear of not making it to the other side there's a leadership gap and boundary that happens there and we stay in that being uh, state of mind. We stay in that mentality of being because of fear, because we say, oh, well, I can't speak like Pastor Reddy, or I can't lead like a Pastor Patrick, or, or I can't do this like a leader. And I talked about this. We play the comparison game. But God is calling each and every one of you to go from the being to the doing. So this shift is important, okay? Because as disciple makers now, we need to move from proclamation to demonstration. We have to move from proclamation to demonstration. We have too many people on this side just proclaiming, 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 and not actually doing something about it. We have churches that are, that are just proclaiming the gospel, which is great. That's all well and good. But when was the last time you functioned in the acts of service towards your community. You have a lot of Christians on this side 
that are just talking about salvation and talking about holiness and talking about the love of God. But when it actually comes to serving someone, right, they shy away from it. So this is, this is what I'm talking about because there's a big disconnect between proclamation and demonstration, right? So we're going to learn about that today. And Matthew 5.16 puts it like this. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may what? See, see you? See your personality? No. So that they may see how handsome or beautiful I am on the outside? No. <laughs> so that they may see your good works. Your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So what we're going to do is we're going to look at five habits here that characterize the interactions that Jesus had with people. Five habits that Jesus, uh, uh, the way that he functioned in society, the way that he functioned in culture. We're going to learn about these interactions. So this is how it's going to look like. The same kind of paradigm that we had in the last lecture is the same one. I want you to, to, to visualize with me. Is the same diagram. At the center, you have obeying God and expressing his unconditional love. So if you want, you could draw like a, a circle and then you could draw like four, four circles on the corners. Okay. So you could draw one big circle and at that center is obeying God and expressing his unconditional love. Then what we're going to see at the center of that, now we have these four corners, these four habits that we're going to talk about. And you could put them there if you want in the, the four corners. They are grace, forgiveness, encouragement, and community. Grace, forgiveness, encouragement, and community. I want to say this because I believe it's going to be, uh, and those maybe listening right now to the podcast, you probably were triggered by one of those words that I said. And I believe there are going to be some moments where you're going to get a greater understanding of what this means. And I believe that there's going to be healing for many of you listening to this and watching this here today. So, but before we could go to the habits, let's first talk about the habit of obeying God and expressing his unconditional love. So he, here's the text for, for this. You could just write this text down, but it's found in Colossians chapter 3, verse 12 to 14. You're probably like, Pastor Eddie, why do you give so much scripture? Why not? I'm not going to make an excuse for that. Sorry. I told you, the greatest textbook is this. This is the greatest textbook. I'm not going to teach you my own philosophy. I'm not going to teach you my own way of doing things. Other preachers and pastors and churches do that. We don't. Colossians chapter 3, verse 12 to 14. It says this. Put on then as God's chosen ones, right? That's you. That's me. Holy and beloved, compassionate hearts. Kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Verse 13, bearing with one another. Come on now, how many, how many, you, you probably got people right now, you're like, man, I got to bear with this person. I got to make this kind of a phone call. I got three of those phone calls today. And I'm like, oh, here's, here's this person again. Got to love them. Got to bear with them. Bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive, verse 14, and above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Wow, come on. That, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to say that again because that right there, see, I, Scripture breathe scripture scripture talks to you scripture teaches you it influences your character and who you are and above all these put on love which binds everything together in perfect harmony so 
what does love have to do with leadership? Put that in the comments. I want you guys to ask, what do you think love has to do with leadership? Let me see who, ha who has the right answer to this. What does love have to do with leadership? Everything. Rebecca, you got it. That's exactly what I was going to say. You, you got my notes. Or oh, you're just a really good V1 college student. And you already know me. Everything. It has to do with everything. Love is the core value of leadership. Okay. So as a situational leader, you guys are situational leaders. Situational leaders are leaders that they embark in a situation, but they are not reactionary. They function in the proclamation, but in the demonstration as well. They look at the situation and they're not reactionary because they're already prepared. That's what makes a good situational leader. And a situational leader uh, who has influence uh, must ask the question, what is the most loving thing to do? at that moment. What is the most loving thing to do at that moment? It's not what is the what is the best way to resolve the situation? I'm not that's not the answer. What is the most strategical approach that we can take so that everyone is satisfied? No, that's not the cause of what I'm talking. I'm giving you a biblical definition. If you haven't learned anything here, this is what we're talking about. The Bible says about leadership. A situational leader has to ask the question, what is love going to do at that moment? What is the most loving thing that I can do for this person, this organization, this ministry, whatever it is? And it is really the way that we respond. It's the way that we respond that will determine what type of leader you are. So if we respond in love, it will require you to let go of your pride. It will require you to let go of the fear and the hard things. Why? Because you're responding in love. Because there's no other choice. And you're going to have to go against the grain of certain things that you may be fearful of. And so, or maybe some of the pride that you're holding on to. You say, I got to love this person, but I really want to do something else to this person. But, you know, but I got to love them through it. So sometimes it's difficult when we have to correct someone. Right? We get to this place. Uh, some... Some leaders love to, to rebuke so much. They love to correct, correct, correct. And that's what, what they're known for. Uh, one of the things we do here is we love you so much way before we correct you. Am I, am I right? Come on. I know, I know I've loved some of you so long and it's taken me maybe one or two years to actually speak into your life and to correct you. But that's the thing. You have to learn to be a leader that loves them beyond, beyond, beyond. I mean, I've been with phone calls with some of you for hours and hours and hours, just loving, loving, loving you, pouring, pouring, pouring to you. And then it got to a point where I had to correct you and you received it more. Why? Because you understood my heart. You understood that, hey, Pastor Eddie's trying to love me to my next level. But sometimes it's difficult that when you have to correct someone. But instead of letting them actually fall deeper into the pit, what love does is love requires you to speak the truth so that they can proceed forward. So some of you, you're holding back your correction and you're letting other people fall. You're holding back your correction and you're letting people fall. Instead of what love does is love says, I'm going to correct that person if I have to. But here's the thing, if all you do is correct, and if all you do is just say, hey, this is bad, this is going on here, I can't stand this leadership, I do this and this and that, usually those are the types of people uh, that are functioning in pride and in fear, whenever you hear that. So there may be times when the most loving thing to do 
is to set someone free. I'm on, I'm going to speak a little bit about that because we got to talk about it. Sometimes the most loving thing to do is to set someone free and actually to allow them to walk their own salvation and to allow them to walk on their own journey and to allow them to go to another church or to allow them to go somewhere else. Sometimes you just got to love people enough to set them free. Don't keep them all for yourself. Don't hold them back because eventually what you're doing is you may be holding back their calling. You may be holding back their purpose. But sometimes we have to let people go. Stop carrying burdens from people who don't want your help. <laughs> Come on. Stop carrying burdens from people who don't want your help. They may not say it they may not say it physically but their actions say something different. I've learned to conserve my energy. And this is a I'm going to give you a good this is a side note, good leadership. I've learned to conserve my energy with people that are just spiritual leeches and just want to siphon and take your time and and look to you as a as a advice uh, sugar daddy. <laughs> and it gets harder when you go up in leadership. Global, I'm talking to you. It gets harder when you go up to leadership because now you're at an influential role and people just want to just just siphon all the, all that from you. But what they really want is they don't want just good advice. They want a, a solution for right now. But that's not how it works. We've been talking about leadership the whole time. It's not about that. You got to form. This is a transformational journey. You don't get transformed by an advice. You get transformed by going through the wilderness. That's what true transformation is. So we are to, as leaders, is this, is, is this making sense, everybody? I mean, this is, this, is some good, this is some good practical stuff here that uh, I'm working through <laughs> with, with me as well. So, um, we are to create an environment of love as leaders. And I think what we've done is, is we've done a, a poor job doing that uh, in our groups, in our churches. Uh, we got to really create an environment of love as leaders uh, that's filled with grace everywhere we have influence. So we see this concept of love all throughout scripture. So I'm going to give you some scripture here because this concept of love is literally seen all throughout the Bible. The two greatest commandments, right, is to what? Love God with all your heart and love other people as you love yourself. Matthew 22, 36 to 40. So leading like Jesus means putting love into action in different ways. Ephesians 3.17 reminds us that we are actually rooted and established in love as God's people. It says in his love, in his love, not your love, but in his love, we are redeemed. And when we receive this actual love, we are able to now express it because we understand it. It's been downloaded into our spiritual DNA. And now we're able to express it towards others in obedience to the one who first loved us. So that's the first um, that's the first centerpiece of this model. So I want to talk about the habit of grace. Let's talk about the habit of grace. So 2 Corinthians 9, 8. 2 Corinthians 9, 8. It says this. And God is able to make all grace abound to you. So that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. God is able to make all grace, not just some grace, but all grace abound to you. See, let me say something about unforgiveness. And this is probably going to speak into some of you right now, because maybe some of you are harboring some kinds of unforgiveness, maybe towards your spouse, 
and maybe you don't even notice it, or maybe towards somebody. But unforgiveness, if you really don't take care of unforgiveness properly, what ends up happening is that it's going to take root into your heart and it's going to lead into bitterness. It's going to affect all the relationships in your life. It's going to affect your well-being. It's going to affect your relationship with God. Unforgiv unforgiveness is that thing that um, if you don't let go, it could take you to the grave. That's how serious unforgiveness is. Um, I've had to learn unforgiveness the hard way. Uh, trying to forgive those that hurt me in the past. Right. Um, I mean, I've heard testimonies of rape victims that become Christians and they have a hard time trying to forgive the person that did that to them. That's tough. I'm not saying it's, it's an easy thing. It's a real, real tough thing, but holding that causes deep roots of bitterness that is hard, is hard to get out. And the only way to do, to combat unforgiveness is you combat unforgiveness with grace. That's the only way. There's no magic pill. There's no other way to do it, right? And what we define grace is this unmerited favor. It's unmerited. You can't earn it. Or it's actually getting something that you don't deserve. Okay. Ephesians chapter two, verse eight to nine says, for by grace, you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It is a gift from God. Hebrews 12, 15 says, see to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. So as leaders, you and I, we are carriers and we are dispensers of grace. We're carriers and dispensers of grace in our families. We're carriers and dispensers of grace in our churches, in our connect groups, in our organizations, in our workplaces. We are carriers and dispensers of this grace. So as sin abounds, what abounds more? Grace. Grace abounds much more and is more abundant in our lives. Romans 6, 1 to 2 says, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? Paul had to address this question. And if you read the whole chapter of six, uh, of Romans chapter six, he had to address this with, with the church. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? Paul said, no, by no means. How can we all who died to sin still live in it? So we are different leaders because of grace. So our response should not be to continue in sinful behavior. Our response should be to let go and let God. Our response should be to forgive others. And we're going to talk next about that soon. But what grace is, this habit of grace, is love in action even after people mess up. Even after you've messed up. Even after you've sinned or, or if you've fallen short some way, maybe you've watched something that you shouldn't have watched, you said something, you caused harm to somebody, whatever the case is, grace is love and action that holds you up. It extends fellowship with others. That's what grace does. Grace is an extension of fellowship. Grace is an extension of fellowship with others. And you know what grace does? It restores intimacy with God. That's what grace does because you cannot restore intimacy with God on your own. That's what the Pharisees were trying to do. The Pharisees were trying to build up this spiritual repertoire to say, well, I can do it on my own. I, I could follow all the, all the rules and regulations so that now I can have a personal dialogue with God. I can have intimacy with God. But they didn't realize that 
no matter what you do, your righteousness is, is still like filthy rags. But it is grace that extends the relationship and the intimacy between you and God. And Jesus constantly reached out to people in grace. We see that all throughout scripture. He healed them and he restored them. So to lead like Jesus, we must be agents of grace. Ephesians 2, 7, so that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace. I love that. The immeasurable. You can't even measure this grace. In kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. So that's the habit of grace. Let's talk about the habit of forgiveness. The habit of forgiveness. Matthew chapter 6, 14 to 15. Matthew chapter 6, 14 to 15. And it reads this. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses neither will your father forgive your trespasses so humanly speaking forgiveness is impossible humanly speaking all right remember what i'm saying here humanly speaking forgiveness is impossible we've we've all been hurt by someone here right either through words or through actions Maybe it's something that Pastor already said that it hurt you. You took offense, and now you you've been letting it germinate into your soul, uh, and you haven't talked to me about it. You know how many of those I get sometimes. <laughs> As leaders, you're going to get that. Oh man, uh, you, that one thing you said it just didn't sit right, and I've been holding it for two months. Why are you holding it for two months? Why are you holding it so long that now it's breathed into your soul and it's caused discord? And every time I, I, I come up to you in church, I could just sense it and see it. And you turn the opposite way because you want to avoid the situation. I'm talking truth here, everybody. This is what happens in leadership. This is what happens. We've all been hurt by someone. And this experience of hurt, it comes in a variety of forms from broken trust to broken people the forms come from broken trust to broken people so forgiveness doesn't mean this okay i want to just get this right away forgiveness doesn't mean that you deny what has happened to you right but we don't we don't minimize the hurt or rationalize it but what we do is that we extend now forgiveness with, with, without ex excusing the act, right? So we understand the act is there, but we are extending forgiveness in the process. And this is where now God comes in, right? Because again, like I said, humanly speaking, we can't do this. So out of the depths of your relationship with God, out of the depths of your relationship with who you are in Christ, is now your ability and your willingness to forgive. So as leaders, what we need is a healthy capacity to forgive and to move on. But here's the thing, it has to start with us. It has to start on the inside of us. How do you think Jesus in Luke 23, 24, when he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. One of the most uh, hardest statements, I believe, of, of, of Jesus on the cross. Of all the sayings, I think that was probably one of the most hardest for him to do. Because humanly speaking, it was hard for him nailed to the cross, dying on the cross, and yet still he demonstrated forgiveness. And yet some of us, we're not dying on the cross. We don't understand the agony of that. Now, listen, I'm not trying to replay the cross for you, but I'm trying to say that we're trying to put our situations in comparison to the cross. Oh, well, they hurt me. Yeah, they hurt you like the cross. Oh, man, you don't know how they betrayed me. Oh, how they betrayed Jesus on the cross. <laughs> you can always go back to the cross. 
You can always lead them back to the cross because that was probably one of the most hardest things for Christ to do is to forgive from the point of death. So the people that wanted him dead in the first place. So Jesus models, right, from the cross, the standards of forgiveness when he actually cried this out on the cross. I need you guys to get a visual of that right now because that's going to set some of you free because you're putting your situations in comparison to the cross and you need to stop doing that because it ain't that bad. Okay? It ain't that bad. When you get nailed to a cross, that's when you feel the ramifications and the weight and the sin of the world on you. Not just the sin of what you've done, but the sin of the world. So the test of leadership comes in the form of our heart attitude at this moment, because it's really in how we respond when those who we lead fail to perform according to our expectations, right? So, so you tell people, Hey, I need you to do X, Y, and Z. And then they fail. And now your heart, your heart gets tested at that moment. Well, I told you to do something. You didn't do it. And now your heart attitude wants to say, I'm not going to forgive them. Right. But you got to understand this. People are on a journey. You are on a journey. And it is a learning process, and there must be some room for forgiveness. So we can't put, and this is what we do. I don't know if maybe some of you guys play hockey or maybe you watch hockey, but what we end up doing is we can't put people in a penalty box for every mistake. And in the game of hockey, when you make a mistake, guess where you're put? You're put in the penalty box. Rebecca knows this. She's from Canada. <laughs> You're put in the penalty box because you made a mistake. So what do we do as Christians whenever someone makes a small, minute mistake? They didn't say what, what I wanted them to say. They, they didn't do what I wanted them to do. So I harbor this forgiveness and I put them into an everlasting penalty box that they can never get out of. And I hold that. And I let it fester. And I let it take root in bitterness. Stop putting people in the penalty box. Stop putting people in the penalty box. Because you should be in a penalty box. <laughs> I'm just straight up. I'm just keeping it real, everybody. You should be in a penalty box. I should be in a penalty box. But because of grace, and we just talked about it, because of grace, we have that freedom. So forgiving is a natural response, right, to actually being hurt or disappointed. It's a natural response, but it should be our spiritual response as well. It's a supernatural act of a person. That's what forgiveness is. Forgiveness is a supernatural act of a person who has surrendered themselves, who has surrendered their plan, their own will and their life to the obedience of God. That's what true forgiveness looks like. It's a supernatural act of surrender. Come on now. So Jesus teaches this to his disciples to actually practice forgiveness with them. And Jesus constantly demonstrated that in scripture. So the opposite of forgiveness is judgment. The opposite of forgiveness is judgment. And what that does is that it seeks to, uh, judgment seeks to really point out our flaws and look at people in a condemning way. But I want to talk about discernment because this is the opposite of that. Now, discernment points out the, the faults, right? But it is with a view of correction and restoration. You see what you see what just happened right there? Some of us were operating in the realm of judgment when we should be operating in the realm of discernment. 
Judgment says, I'm going to view your faults, but I'm going to condemn you at the same time. Discernment says, I'm going to view your faults, but I'm going to correct you to your next level and get you to the point of restoration. Big difference. Big difference. So when you're faced with your situation, everybody listen, when you're faced with that situation that you got to either forgive or, or and, and forget uh, when you're faced, like, am, am I going to forgive this person or I'm going to harbor unforgiveness? You got to look at them and say, I'm going to discern this. I'm going to discern it. I'm not going to judge them. I'm going to discern it. And I'm going to love them past their faults and seek to correct them and restore them. So when you withhold forgiveness, this borders condemnation instead of restoration to withhold forgiveness. Romans 14, 13 says this. You can write that down. Romans 14, 13. It says, therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. James 4.11 says, Do not speak evil against one another, the brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. What are we talking about here today? Doing. So I believe here today, if you're listening to this, that if there's unforgiveness of your heart of any kind towards somebody right now, and maybe you don't even recognize it, maybe you don't even know it, but your actions and how you even provoke them or how you talk to them, or maybe you've disassociated yourself from them, maybe you've kept a, a barrier, an invisible barrier between them, whatever it is, Either you recognize it or you don't recognize it. Do not look at it with eyes of judgment or condemnation, but look at them with eyes of compassion, eyes of discernment, and eyes of restoration. Because you don't want to harbor unforgiveness. Okay, let's go to the habit of encouragement. That's the next circle, the habit of encouragement. All right, we're moving pretty quickly here. Second uh, Thessalonians chapter two, verse 16 to 17. Second Thessalonians chapter two, verse 16 to 17. Now it says, verse 16, now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father who loved us and gave us eternal comfort. Don't you love that? He gave us eternal comfort. No matter what you're going through, God gave you eternal comfort even before you were going through the trial. God gave you eternal comfort even when, when, even when you were dealing with cancer. God gave you eternal comfort even when your finances are not in order. God gave you internal Comfort, even though you may not even recognize your purpose. God gave you, can I, do I got to keep going? God gave you the eternal comfort and the good hope through grace. There's that word grace again. He gave you that through grace. Verse 17. And now what Paul says here to the church of Thessalonica is that the first half of this verse deals with the past. Now verse 17 goes into the present circumstance where it says, comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work. There's the good work again, doing. That's what we're talking about here. It's not just being, we, we, we already know we got to go into the doing parts, the good work parts, the putting your hands to the plow parts. We become information junkies. Oh, you know what? I'm going to say something maybe scandalous. You ready? We've become scripture junkies. 
Oh, wait a minute. Is that even possible? Can I become a scripture junkie? What does that even mean? Because you could read this entire word and not do a darn thing about it. That's the reality. I've met so many people in Bible college throughout the years, over a decade. All they've done is sit in their office and they could tell you everything on the theological concept of, of what they're reading, but they haven't fed someone who was hungry or they haven't clothed someone. And that breaks my heart because we have to be different people. We have to be different here because it's every good work that God has called us to. And um, so anyway, the Lord's grace and forgiveness, that's what we're talking about here. The Lord's grace and forgiveness, it offers the believer spiritual redirection. So the grace and the forgiveness allows us to now compose ourselves and now be redirected. Some of us, we need redirection. That's okay. It's okay to be redirected, but don't come up with these false ideologies and ideas to say, I don't need redirection. Everyone needs redirection. So the Bible uses the word repentance as meaning to deciding to move into a new direction. That's what repentance means. Repentance means I'm decided to move to a new direction. I'm going to redirect and reorient myself now because I know that if I continue on this path, it's going to lead to destruction. So the message of Jesus since the beginning of his ministry was always a call to repent. That was always in the forefront of Jesus's ministry. Matthew chapter 4, 17 says, from that time, Jesus began to preach. What did he preach? Did he preach your best life now? <laughs> no. Did he preach, oh, money's going to come down from the skies because I own the cattle on a thousand hills? No. Did he, <laughs> he didn't preach any of that stuff. He didn't preach prosperity. What he preached was this, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That message is not sexy in today's church. <laughs> but let me tell you something. That is the message that we need to hear today. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So what encouragement? What encouragement now does, now you have that concept, it completes the cycle of you being this coach. Remember we talked about the coach. It completes the cycle of you now being this coach because it's your opportunity now to help those that you coach, to help those that you lead, and to stay on the course and to help them not move backwards. So a key aspect of, of effective encouragement is catching people doing something right. Oh, come on. I know some of you probably missed that right there. A key aspect of effective encouragement is catching people doing something right. How come we're always catching people doing something wrong? Some of you, you're just waiting to catch somebody wrong. You're just waiting on the wayside to say, I can't wait till Pastor Eddie messes up one day. Oh, man, I'm going to give it to him. You just can't wait. <laughs> but what effective encouragement is, is catching people doing something right. And what we have to do is we have to accentuate the positive and not focus so much on the negative. I'm gonna give you some scripture for this because you're not gonna listen to me. <laughs> you're like, well, man, I don't know, Pastor Eddie. Let me give you some scripture. Don't take my word for it, please don't. Philippians chapter four, verse eight. It says, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. 
because that is where you find the true encouragement is is when you're seeing people doing the right thing the honorable thing the pure thing the lovely thing the commendable thing that is it but sometimes we don't do a good enough job and i think as leaders we have to do a better job because what we do is we put a price tag on our compliments oh man we put a price tag on our compliments. Well, if you didn't have 1,000 followers following you on your YouTube live, then it's, then it's, then it's for nothing. Or, well, you didn't, you served in, in V1 Kids, but yeah, but you didn't do worship and you wasn't on the platform. So, you know, I can't really, you know, compliment you. That's what we do. I know I'm speaking some truth. I'm saying some hard things, but that's what the reality is. We hold our compliments because we put a price tag on it so that other people could say, well, you know what? If, if you're not on the platform or you're not doing something great or whatever the case is, I'm not going to compliment you. I'm not going to encourage you, but everyone needs encouragement. It's not just for the platform people. It's for all kinds of people. And we need to learn to accentuate this po the positive. You know, you know the reason why Chick-fil-A, how many of you guys love Chick-fil-A? I always get spicy, uh, spicy chicken sandwich. That's my fave. <laughs> and I always buy the Chick-fil-A sauce. Always. As a matter of fact, it just ran out. I'm going to go to the supermarket after this. I'm going to catch some Chick-fil-A sauce. So... Do you know why Chick-fil-A is so successful? It's not just because of their chicken, okay? But it's actually how they actually communicate encouragement to their employees. You know that they actually have a model. You probably never even heard this before. But they actually have a model that says, who needs encouragement? Anyone who is breathing. That's their model for Chick-fil-A. So... What encouragement, and, and as a result of that, I haven't seen one disgruntled Chick-fil-A worker. I'm trying to find them. I'm trying to mess with them, giving them the most difficult orders. I'm, try <laughs> I'm, trying, to, I'm trying to get them to get, they can't. I've never seen an angry Chick-fil-A uh, employee. Maybe you have, but I haven't yet. Because their motto is to encourage people. And it's not just because you fit a certain mold or leadership, it's just you're breathing. That's it. You're a human. So encouragement changes our perspective in a moment. And what Jesus did was Jesus encouraged people when he said, I will never leave you or forsake you. That was Jesus's form of encouragement. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Even when I die, guess what? I'm sending a helper and a comforter, the paraclete, to you. So encouragement often comes to us in the form of words, but so do wounds. Encouragement often comes to us in the form of words, but guess what also comes to us? Wounds as well. Because out of the same mouth could spew love in an instant and then hate in the next. We must be careful how we speak, right? Because there is life and death that's found in the power of the tongue. We read that in Proverbs 18.21. And the old saying is true. If you don't have something nice to say, don't say it. <laughs> and sometimes encouragement really is simply just being present to cheer someone on. When was the last time you were present just to cheer someone on? Encouragement must come from a place in the heart. It has to come here in the heart. And it recognizes the good in others. It looks at them with different perspective and different eyes. And it expresses that recognition with words now, not wounds. Some of us were offering wounds rather than words. And we think the wounds, we, we think the words that we're giving other people are words of encouragement when they're actually 
their camouflage as wounds. Oh, you're doing a great job, but... Oh, man, you did awesome up there. Yeah, but I've noticed... Oh, man, you know, such a, you, you got such an amazing voice. But if you just did this... Come on now. Exactly. Backhanded compliments. <laughs> Luke 645. It says, the good person out of the good treasures of his heart produces good. And the evil person out of his evil treasures produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. So you have right now the ability to change the course of someone's day or even his or her life through your words. Some people are on the brink of suicide. Some people are on the brink of dying. You know how many situations, oh man, I could just tell you stories of just people that said, man, Pastor Eddie, if, if I, I heard this message you said or, or that, that compliment you gave me or that encouragement you gave me and it changed my whole life. And then 10 years later, I hear from them and I'm like, wow, praise God, I, I didn't even know. It's a powerful way to help those we influence to experience the love of God. So let's become distributors of encouragement. Amen. Okay. Uh, let's finish with the habit of community. And then we're going to go into a Q&A. The habit of community. Romans 15, 5 to 6. It says, May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another. Have you been noticing, noticing a progression with all the scriptures I'm giving you? Did anybody been catching that? There's a progression from all of these habits. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in according with Christ Jesus. Verse 6, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of your Lord Jesus Christ. So, the doing habits of grace, forgiveness, and encouragement... They all flourish when they happen within the context of community. That's how they flourish. That's how grace flourishes. That's how forgiveness flourishes. That's how encouragement flourishes. When it happens within the context of community, not when it happens within the context of just yourself, because we're not here to do life alone, right? So, that could be your connect group, that could be your church, that could be your family, right? But we are not meant to do this life alone. Genesis 1.27, right? We read that God created man in his image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female. And God blessed them. So living in community was God's idea right from the very start. And he gave us instructions on actually how to build out this community. How did he do that, Pastor Eddie? This is done through the biblical theme of kingdom. The kingdom of God. The kingdom of God. What is the kingdom of God? It is a community that is established by the rule and the reign of God. Mark 1.15, the kingdom of God has come near. Matthew 6.33, seek first the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God. Yet a lot of us, we don't have kingdom mentalities. We have self mentalities. We have our, we want to do things our way. You see, your faith, talking about faith now, your faith gets you to heaven, but your words bring heaven to earth. Your faith gets you to heaven, but it is your words that brings heaven to earth. Yet some of us, our words are more likely bringing hell to earth than heaven. I know that may sound harsh, because, but sometimes there's life and there's death in the power of the tongue. When you look at death as this eternal damnation, 
you get a warped view of grace. Death is a part of life. Death is something that we embrace. Death is something that, you know what? It's a joy. It's not weird to say, hey, I look forward to dying. That's okay. Now, I wouldn't go around telling people that because then you're going to look like you're crazy. But when you understand the biblical concept of death, and now we're not going to go into this. I, I, this is like a whole nother teaching. But when you look at the biblical concept of death, you understand death, where is the sting? There is no sting. When you look at death, it's just a part of life. It's, 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 it's me being upgraded into glory. That's what death is. And I counted all the joy to suffer for Christ. So when we lead like Jesus as leaders, it is to bring heaven to earth to the community. So I'm going to rattle off a whole bunch of scriptures here. If, if you might want to just <laughs> go something like, I'm about, I'm, I'm about to, I'm about to literally like, I, I actually went to the gun range today to, uh, cause we have to like qualify. So I'm all like hyped up right now. So I'm literally going to rattle off <laughs> a chain of scriptures here. So get the notes from somebody else. Because I'm not stopping. All right, here we go. So um, <laughs> as leaders, we are to model. Now, this is all in the form of what we're talking about here today as community. As leaders, we are to model loving one another. John 13, 34. We are to forgive one another. Colossians 3, 13. And also regarding others, we're supposed to regard others more highly than ourselves. Philippians 2, 3 to 4. We are to teach and to correct one another. Right? Again, that's Colossians 3, 16. We are to encourage one another. 1 Thessalonians 5, 11. We are to pray for one another. James 5, 16. We're to bear one another's burdens. Galatians 6.2. We are to be devoted to one another. Romans 12.10. We're supposed to be kind and compassionate. Ephesians 4.32. We're supposed to be generous in hospitality. 1 Peter 4.9. We're supposed to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Ephesians 5.21. That's what community should look like. All that right there. That's the biblical definition of a community. That they forgive one another. They regard others more highly than themselves. They're, they're able to teach and to correct one another. They encourage one another. They pray with one another. They bear one another's burdens. They're devoted to one another. They're kind and they're compassionate. They're generous in hospitality. They serve one another. They submit to one another. They love one another. Because that's what leaders do. Leaders who desire to lead like Jesus must internalize the command of God in John 15, 12. Love one another as I have loved you. And we need to teach others to do the same. Imagine if we actually did everything that was there. Imagine that. So there was actually a, a study that was conducted where there was 237 Christian leaders who experienced a moral failure. 237 Christian leaders, actually, they experienced a moral failure and they wanted to figure out during this study why and why, how was it connected. They wanted to figure out what was the common denominator during this study. Why did these preachers, why did these men of God commit a moral failure? And you see it, it's happening, it's on Discovery Plus, it's all over the place, right? And after the study, 
they actually reported that not one of them now listen to me very very carefully because this is going to break some things off of you not one of them had an accountability relationship with other men they didn't have community around them you can't do life alone if you don't have anybody pouring into your life encouraging you right discerning allowing people to discern. i got a phone call today from one of uh uh a prominent leader at v1 been with us for years and years and years straight up i mean he's one of the top tier leaders in v1 called me up and said pastor eddie i want you to hold me accountable when i do when i do x y and z for this group literally just called me out the blue I, I was like wow i was like listen first i'm honored to do that because he wanted to make sure that there was some accountability in his life he wanted to make sure that what he was doing was scriptural he wanted to make sure that he was held into the standard of christ not according to my standards but according to the biblical standards so do you have someone like that do you have a group like that? Men, do you have that? Especially with men. And I, saw, I talked about this yesterday. Go back and watch that video about biblical manhood and toxic masculinity if you haven't done so. That's the one thing that we shy away from is being accountable because we think we could do it on ourselves, but we can't. So Jesus stresses the importance of community with his disciples. He established the mission and the vision of community when he said this, go and make disciples of all nations. And what Jesus did was he empowered them, right? As a result, the community was built because he empowered them. So an, an, an organization, will thrive when people are able to trust the leadership and feel empowered by them. That's what community is. Community is really empowering each other. And love needs to be our common denominator because here's the, the reality is you can't argue with love. Can't. Love should be the common denominator, but love is also the key element in the creation of a trusting community. There has to be this concept of love. And let me just finish by saying this, that in order to lead like Jesus, you must build trust. You must love the community. You must communicate the expectations clearly so that they can now buy into the vision and to the mission. So in review, the doing habits of a leader, at the center of it, we have obeying God above all. But it's expressing his unconditional love in these habits. In the habit of grace, which is the unmerited favor of God. In the habit of forgiveness, where we forgive others from the perspective of the cross. From the habit of encouragement that we learn to season our speech with grace and truth so that others can be built up and edified the habit of community that we all are in this together each and every one of us here we are all in this together and at the end we will all be with god together in the greatest community that we can ever hope or imagine let's pray god thank you so much that as leaders, we're able to do. You put us into a position of doing. You put us into a position to do the hard things. <clears throat> but God, we are willing to take that responsibility. Forgive us if we have not taken that responsibility, if we've lacked in our forgiveness. Forgive us. If we have been harboring unforgiveness in the areas of our lives towards others or even towards you forgive us because god we want to establish the kingdom of god on earth so let our words penetrate the hearts of people 
not our words, God, but your words. And I pray, God, that we, if we've been putting people in these penalty boxes, let grace arise and abound. Help us to discern and to look at others with loving and caring eyes, God. Not condemning, not judging, but restoring. Because you restored us. And God, I thank you that we can go as leaders from being to now doing. And I pray, God, that help us to be doers of your word. Help us to be doers of faith as we walk this out to lead like Jesus, we pray. Amen.